there's something about that full band, the uh, drums and the bass that just stir something deeper within me. It's awesome. Awesome. Well, welcome. My name's Evan. Go through a couple of announcements before we uh, just kind of pour over God's Word. So I'll just go chronological. Uh, just the top three are kind of what I want to show to you tonight, talk to you about. So we have a retreat coming up next weekend, Friday and Saturday night. Uh, it's a chance to pull away from the hecticness of normalcy. So you can quiet your minds, turn off your cell phones, and simply focus on God, on the goodness of the moment, uh, give you a chance to hang out with other people that are in the same mindset, have some fun with them, um, potentially climbing, kayaking, hiking, all those kind of things. Um, Our desire is to give people a place to get quiet, just for 48 hours, give them a lot of chance to reflect, give them things to reflect upon, um, and it's basically free. You're paying for food, more or less. So if you've got questions about that, let me know. It starts Friday, ends on Sunday. Uh, we also have a baptism coming up. Um, if you have not been baptized and you feel the Spirit leading you to get baptized, do it. I've seen people that have been in that same situation, and they are obedient, and it's transformative for them simply symbolically showing what has happened, what you believe in, but something transformative, more than just figurative, happens within their minds and their souls. So if you've got questions about baptism, uh, feel free to talk to me or Ben or anybody else. And then the last one, CLM, uh, Christian Life Ministries, is offering a level one training course. If you have any sort of desire to maybe be a counselor, if you like sitting down with people and listening to them and want to be able to push them towards what is true, the things that you have found have changed your life in the Bible, this is an awesome place to start. The counselors there are incredible, and you get to embrace these truths and have this time with a community. I think it's like 12 weeks long, and so you get to know each other. So three really good opportunities to kind of be obedient potentially, but just move a little bit more in the direction of what God is calling you to do. Awesome. So we are nearing the end of a series uh, in which we were looking at the 12 unshakable or foundational elements of the Bible. We're on number 11. Next week, uh, we're going to look at number 12 and then move into a new series in September. Um, Tonight, my desire is that you understand that we are redeemed to fight back. That we are redeemed spiritually so that way we can fight back. Let me give you a few uh, sentences, a few phrases that are countercultural but are fully biblical. You are given life not just for yourself but for others. You have breath in your lungs so that you can bring goodness to other people's lives. You are not made to be served, but to serve. Those ones are difficult to hear coming out of a cultural lens or even a human lens, but those are foundational for the truths of the Bible. You know, last week we looked at the spiritual world and the battle that it brings to our lives. I need to set a little context so we can understand where I'm coming from. 
Satan, the ruler of the kingdom of darkness, rose up in mutiny against the creator of everything. He was defeated and cast down out of heaven onto earth. He now wants everyone to experience the same level of pain and loss that he lives in. In order to bring people to this same state of misery, his goal is to pull our minds and our lives away from our focus on God, who is the source of all good. He continually assaults us through temptations and accusations, attempting to deceive us into believing that we are not in need of being saved or that we have gone too far to ever be redeemed. But because of this kingdom of light, this is not a slaughter. It is a battle. God, the ruler of the kingdom of light, brings his power into our world so that way we can stand up against Satan and his merciless attacks. At the foundation of God's battle plan is Jesus and his death on the cross. Colossians 2, 13 through 15 sums it up so nicely. And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcisions of your flesh. God made you alive together with him when he forgave us all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with his legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them, triumphing over them. The rulers and the authorities of the kingdom of darkness use our sin as leverage against us to lure us further away from God by tempting us with what we believe will bring us true contentment. That's temptation. Man, money, sex, pleasure, people's approval, whatever. This will make you fully content. And then they accuse us by pointing out our brokenness and our unworthiness to be a part of the kingdom of God. Do you remember back in April when you did that? Remember how your wife reacted when you said this? But with the cross, the game changed. Jesus bore every ounce of our failure and brought our sin to the grave. In his sacrificial death, Jesus erased the record that stood against us and the legal punishment that rebellion deserves. By doing this, Satan and his minions have been disarmed. They no longer have the ability to rightfully accuse followers of Jesus of being unworthy of God's love and affection. The redeemed have been made new. Their souls have been purified, utterly cleansed of sin, past, present, and all the days that are to come. Satan's accusations are no longer valid. But it gets even better. Followers of Jesus have also been given a new heart. The Holy Spirit now resides within them. Instead of having to fight alone against the temptations of pride, lust, anger, and greed, the desires for self-glorification, those who have been, those who trust Jesus have been given the atomic bomb in spiritual warfare. The Spirit continually fights on our behalf giving us the truth and the power to remain faithful to our creator, no matter what Satan or our culture throws at us. Last week, we examined the armor of God in Ephesians 6, and we looked at how we can defend ourselves against the strategies of the devil, what he pushes at us individually. I had a handout for you last week that I didn't bring, and so now it's sitting next to you. So if you want to go deeper into that, grab one of those. Tonight, I want to focus in on how we were saved so we can fight back against the darkness, so that we can bring God's light and goodness into our worlds. 1 Peter 2.9 
sums it up so nicely. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, right? That's the redeemed, all of those who have placed their faith in Jesus. In order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You know, this, per, this verse is referring to God's plan for his people, for those he has redeemed from soul slavery and continues to redeem from our individual forms of brokenness. He not only saved us for our own good, he saved us so that we could be a part of his light pouring into the darkness of this world. And this is what we see in the entire Bible. This has been God's plan from the beginning. So think about Noah. He was commanded to build an ark not only to save himself and his whole family. There's a a form that I can email to you if you want to see it, but people did research on the size of the ark and the space that it takes to house animals, how much space that would take to house all the animals he brought in. So they figured out the overall occupancy of the ark, and they saw that there was an extra 56% of the ark that was unused. That means that God had Noah build the ark for every single person alive to get on if they desired to be saved. Think about Abraham. He was called into a better life full of prosperity, but he was also promised that he would be a blessing to all nations, the nation of Israel. They were saved from inescapable bondage and then put on a stage so that they could show the world how much better their God is. So they were brought from Egypt to the promised land, and the promised land is right in the middle of major trade routes. Due, the, due to the Arabian Desert, which is on the east, everyone that wants to travel to Egypt, which is down south, Mesopotamia, Babylon, that area, which is to the east, or Eastern Europe, which is up here, has to go directly through Israel. And I believe God's desire was that people would see how good Israel had it and want what they had, want to know the God that was bringing it to them. Think about the apostles. They were set free from the expectations of the law and the religious leaders of their nation who held it so tightly and heavily upon them. They were made sons of a God that they were originally taught was distant from them and angry with their imperfections. Then they were sent out through the entire world to proclaim the gospel. I hope you're seeing what I'm laying out here. Throughout the entire Bible, we see God redeem people not only for their own sake, but also so that way they can fight back against the brokenness in their worlds. God's redeemed are sent out as ambassadors, given the task or responsibility of fighting back against the kingdom of darkness. You know, we're going to look at Luke 10, kind of as a foundation point, I guess. Um, to kind of explore this a little bit deeper. Luke 10, verses 1 through 12. It'll be up behind me as well. So Jesus is midway into his ministry. Really has the ball rolling, doing a lot of crazy, powerful, miraculous things. People's eyes are wide open, their mouths are dropping. And then we get to Luke 10. After this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him in pairs to every town and place where he himself intended to go. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into this harvest. 
Go on your way. See, I'm sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. And if anyone there is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborers deserve to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. Cure the sick who are there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into the street and say, even if the dust of your town, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off and protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, on that day, it'll be more tolerable for Sodom than for that town. All right, there's a lot of interesting little tidbits throughout this. But what I want us to do is kind of get a big picture view of what it means to be sent out into the world to bring God's kingdom. You know, from this passage, we see what it looks like to battle against the evils of this world. It means engaging with people where they are at in order to tell them that the kingdom of God has come near, to let them know that the kingdom of God is at hand. Verses 8 and 9, when you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. So you are dying with them. You are in their space. Cure the sick who are there and say to them, the kingdom of God is has come near to you. Let's take a moment to define the kingdom of God. It is a source of all that is good in our world, period. It is a kingdom where God reigns. At its foundation lies the gospel, that mankind needs God's assistance to live a truly good life, and that God desires to give mankind what they need to live the life they've always wanted to live. Battling against spiritual darkness means that we show people what God's kingdom brings into our worlds and that they too can experience the goodness that we have. There are endless ways to do this, both the miraculous and the mundane. The disciples healed the sick and cast out demons, right? That had been mind-blowing for them. But I'm sure they also simply ate food with others and told them in really lame and corny ways who Jesus was. They had these little one-liners that they thought would blow people's socks off, right? It's the same for us. There are times when we get to help somebody in a truly profound way. Through our generosity, through prayers of healing being answered, or talking them down from the ledge through counseling or encouraging words. But far more than that, we have the ability to show people who God is through being kind or patient, forgiving others, sacrificing our time or our energy, even a half an hour, through being encouraging or uplifting in small little words, a note, a phone call, an email, something where you take time to just let a person know that they are worthwhile. Fighting back spiritually is not just proclaiming the gospel to those who do not know it, standing on a street corner saying, Jesus loves you. I feel like more so, it is selflessly loving those around us, believers or not. 
We have been redeemed so that way we can actively fight against Satan and his schemes in other people's lives. So that way we can play a part in God's redemptive plan for those around us. We are called to be soldiers of light, those who dispel darkness. But why? Why does Jesus do this with his disciples? If you flip back a few pages, he has just finished feeding 5,000 women, men. So women and children, like 10,000 people from such a small little amount. He calmed a storm by speaking at it. And he's healed a lot of different people with different types of ailments, some right on the verge of death. Why would he send out a bunch of uneducated, unexperienced people to bring his light into the darkened corners of their world? And why does God do this throughout the entire Bible? Why would the almighty maker of everything who can instantly do all things entrust mere mortals with the responsibility of fighting against the king of darkness and his evil intentions of this world? You know, as I sat and pondered this, I'm sure there's a lot of different reasons, but I came up up with two of them. And they're all for the redeemed, for those he called. It forces us to trust God. And it helps us more fully live an abundant life. So let's look at trust. At times, we can bring God's goodness into other people's lives in ways that are convenient or easy for us. At other times, we have to be self-sacrificing and crawl in the muck of another person's brokenness. We have to surrender our time, money, or emotional stability to come alongside them as they struggle. But regardless of how easy or hard fighting against darkness seems to be, we must always remember that we are in the midst of spiritual warfare. And this is very rarely on my mind. That we are engaging an enemy that is far bigger and far more powerful than we may ever know. We must remember that the only way that a person's life can genuinely change or a person can handle the intensity of this broken world and it gets so intense is by the grace of God. In order to engage in spiritual warfare for ourselves and those around us, we must trust the power of God, not our own limited abilities, which is what we always default to. Well, I can do this. I've taken this class. I've gotten good at doing this. Maybe if I say, maybe if I give. And we forget that there's this whole other world engaging on this person, fighting for and against him. You know, I think that this may be the reason why Jesus sent his disciples off with specific instructions. Let's look at verses 3 through 7. Imagine yourself being one of these guys. Go on your way. See, I'm sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide. For the laborer deserves to be paid. Do not move about from house to house. So they are being sent out with zero provision. So they carry no mercy. A male purse. And, uh, you wonder if Merces ever carry Merces? Male nurse? Male purse? Oh, sorry. So they're not allowed to bring money with them. They can't have, thank you, Darcy, got you going. No bag with clothes or a blanket. They're given no extra pair of sandals in case, they, in case they're 
It's breaks. And they are also instructed to not talk with people that they know on their journey, which should give them a chance to seek assistance. Essentially, they are being stripped of their ability to rely upon themselves. But it gets even more intense and uncertain. Jesus tells them that they are lambs being sent into the midst of wolves. They are going into places and interacting with people that will not make things easy. They are given the task of casting out demons, which means that they are going to be directly interacting with the kingdom of darkness, doing hand-to-hand combat with its rulers and its authorities, the ones that desire above all else to pull people away from the goodness of God. So these uneducated, unexperienced men are being sent into situations in which they are completely over their heads so that they are forced to trust the one who sent them. You know, this is the same for men like Noah. There is no water. How does a man build a boat if he's never seen water? Right? Standing water. Abraham left everything he knew into an unknown land. Moses right? go from being a shepherd to lead an entire nation. The apostles. And it's the same for us. We are called to be ambassadors of Jesus in the midst of a broken world while a spiritual battle rages around us so that we can learn to more fully trust in our creator. Instead of simply destroying evil with a snap of his fingers, God allows broken people and terrible circumstances to come before us so that he can use us to bring his healing and redemption. As he does this, as we are used by him to do these things, things that we could never do on our own, we learn the power of God and the utter importance of trusting him. There is no better thing a person can do than trust in the one who is sovereign over everything. Let me just give you a small example. As I was preparing this, thinking through examples, there's just so many different things coming through my head, but I thought I'd give a small one, maybe a little bit more relatable. And some of you maybe have heard this before, but three words utterly changed my life. Three words was a catalyst for my entire life being changed when I was 27, 28. And it came from a random woman sitting next to me at church that I had never met before. The service was over. She turns to me and said, I feel like God wanted me to tell you and said three words. I'm sure they didn't mean anything to her, but it completely rocked me. Think about how much she had to trust God to say these silly little words to this surfer-looking boy that was sitting next to her. But because of those words, because of her trust in him, she got to watch over the next year my life utterly change as I got to know her. When we obey what God is calling us to do, however small or big, It moves us into a deeper level of trusting the one who knows everything about you that has perfect plans for your life. The second thing that I think think doing this, using us as ambassadors brings about for us is that it allows us to live a better life. We are each uniquely made. We are given natural abilities that can develop into amazing talents. The Bible is very clear that we have that the redeemed have also been given specific, talent, specific gifts from the Spirit. I believe that God uses our talents and our gifts to combat the confusion and the hurt and pain of this life. Instead of calling a person to do things they have no ability to do, 
I believe, more than not, God directs us to battle in ways that come naturally to us. Ephesians 2.10 is one that I always come back to, but I just love it. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. We are made and trained to fight in specific ways. As we trust God and move into the broken, it makes us feel and come more alive. When a person is able to do what they enjoy or what they know they are good at, it energizes them and brings them fulfillment. Even though dealing with people who are struggling is messy and at times exhausting, when we are used in our sweet spot, there are few other places that we would rather be. Let me give you one quick example. So back in January, I was hanging out out in the foyer area, whatever, coffee shop, and there was a guy, 25 or so, sitting at the table, and I felt like I was supposed to go talk to him. And so I went up there and talked to him. Within five minutes, he shared kind of how devastating of a spot that he was in. Um, There was some foolish choices. When he was drunk, his wife fled with their unborn child back to Peru, where she was from, and he was trying to rebuild his life, living in the shelter. Over the next two or three months, I met up with him six, eight times, something like that. And all I had to do was simply ask him questions and listen. And then I had an opportunity to share the truths that I have found in the Bible, things that come very naturally to me, just to listen and then tell people about God. In March, he flew back to his wife who was seven months pregnant, to live down there, to take care of her, watch the relationship just come together via email and on the phone. And he gave me a big hug at the end and said, I love you. Thank you for showing me who God really is and the grace that he has for me. And all I had to do was ask him questions, listen, and tell him about the Bible. It was during those times that it just felt so good for me to be alive and do what I knew I was created to do. We are redeemed to fight. We are saved from the kingdom of darkness so that way we can kick holes of light into the brokenness of this world. We are not made new so we can sit in a box on a shelf. God transforms us so that we can be used to transform this world. As we do this, we are given the two most important things a person can ever have. Trust in God and the abundant life. So to end this, give you some application for you right here and now. What do we do now? Now that we understand or at least heard the philosophy, how do we engage in this fight? Three different things. First one, ask God to be used. Luke 10.2, this is how Jesus starts it off. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. In order to be used by God, we have to be willing to be used by God. It seems common sense, but it's so foundational. We have been given free will. It is always our choice whether or not we are open to God's plans for our lives. But when we ask God to use us however he wants to use us, then it allows him to put us into action. So a week before I had met Nick, that was that guy's name, it dawned on me that God tends to put a person in my life for a short amount of time, a couple weeks, a couple months, and then they're gone. 
And so I asked him, God put somebody else in my life. Boom, there was Nick. He left. I realized, man, I don't have anybody. So I prayed. Next day, I got a phone call from a friend who was in a really bad spot. Spent a month with him. Last week, I realized, man, I haven't had anybody in a while. So I asked God again, walk into Qdoba, see a friend from years past that I used to teach with. He's transgender, and he opens up about his wife, how his wife left him, gave me a big hug, and we're meeting up for coffee tomorrow. When we ask God to use us in our sweet spots, in the ways that he has created us to be used, so that way we can help other people understand who he is, then he will give you that opportunity. I can promise you that. So ask to be used by God. Number two, obey. When you see or feel God leading, then you have to obey. Our free will continues, right? Even if we ask, we still have the ability to deny acting. The disciples had the ability not to go or to sneak money or to not follow Jesus' instructions of how to deal with people in their towns, we have the option to not call that person that God's been putting on your mind. To not give money, to not volunteer, to not go out and listen to somebody over a cup of coffee. When we choose not to obey, then we choose not to help someone fight against the darkness that is pushing into their world. You know, somebody once told me, it's always the safest bet to follow God's instructions. Regardless of how hard, awkward, or foolish it seems, obeying the creator of everything is always the best choice. So ask God to use you. Obey and then pray. The thing we must always do, regardless of where we are at in the process of fighting Satan, is to pray. Simply put, praying is the mindset of depending on God. I've seen prayer in both Hebrew and the Greek defined as exchanging wishes. Exchanging our desires for God's desires. Prayer is approaching God with open hands declaring that you want what he wants and that you will do whatever he desires for you to do. It is acknowledging that without God you have nothing, but with him you have everything you need for this life. When one opens up their mind and their time to God, then they will experience the most joy-filled and exciting life possible. I want to give us an opportunity to do this right now, collectively. I'm going to pray, but I ask you, I give you the opportunity to do it as well. God, we, I, we open up our lives to you. However you want to use us, whatever you want to accomplish through us, however big, however small, however foolish, however hard, God, we give you total authority over our lives. You have redeemed us. You have poured so many good things into our lives, and we desire to be used by you so that other people can experience this as well. So right here, in this place, we open up our lives to you, asking that you would continue to prove yourself to us and point out the way that we should go. God, we are your servants. We long to serve you, to live selflessly, to love other people well. Please make that happen.